Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch in our downtown studios. I'm a sports writer with the Journal. Uh, I'll be covering the majority of your men's and women's college basketball action in this 2021-22 season. This is the second of our two preview editions. Uh, Maury Hirsch-Gordon was kind enough to join me on the first to talk about the URI men, the Bryant men, and the URI women, among other things. Today, I'm joined by the sports director at ABC6, my other co-conspirator on the podcast for this season, Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, Bill. How are we doing? Good, man. What's going on? It's great to be back, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I was just saying to Bill when we were walking in, the environment outside of where we're doing this podcast is a lot different than what we were seeing you know, last year walking in. It was just downtown Providence was just kind of, it was quiet. It was kind of shut down. We were still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, as, as tough it is to find uh, parking on uh, Rhode Island Comic Con weekend, <laughs> it, is, uh, it is nice to see people out and about in the city uh, sort of hustling and bustling again. And it means that there's going to be college basketball and other events coming up here at the Dunk. If, uh, if we're back to first world problems, I think that's okay. Yes, exactly. I, I exactly. would much prefer those to, uh, you know, disease and famine and, and death and everything yeah. that we dealt with in, in 2020 in the early part of 2021. Um, you know, I know, Cody, you've been in a few gyms now already, uh, you know, seen some of these exhibition games, seen some fans back in the seats. Gives a little extra juice, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. It, it's, again, it just feels more normal. Um, and we're still seeing masks in certain places and we're seeing some restrictions and whatnot, but just to have people there, um, you know, we were just sitting in the, uh, you know, recording this on a Friday, so it was right after the URI exhibition against Jaywoo, sitting in the same room as David Cox and the players and having a post-game press conference, even something like that, you you uh, appreciate more because you weren't able to do that last year. It was all Zoom. I couldn't figure out how to raise my hand for half of the press conferences because <laughs> I didn't yeah. update my own Zoom. So it's nice to be in the same room, and um, I think we all appreciate the, the sense of normalcy that we're starting to get here. Yeah, definitely uh, You know, great to be back, great to have the fans back, um, You know, great to have some confidence that a game on the schedule is actually going to get played. And we can sort of plan our week around it, plan our weekend around it, um, you know, sort of talk about basketball instead of protocol. It's a beautiful thing. Yep. Um, you know, today we, we are going to go over uh, a couple other teams in the area. We are going to start with the Providence Friars. Uh, Coity coming off a 13-13 and season. Uh, they lost in the first round of the Big East Tournament to DePaul. Um, you know, real turgid effort that night at Madison Square Garden. It was not one of the better games that they played under Ed Cooley. Ultimately ended up the final game for David Duke, the Providence native. Uh, he declared for the NBA draft. He's currently on a two-way deal with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, uh, we wish him all the success in the world. That we do. Love to see a local kid make good. Um, you know, that that was certainly a decision that, that he made. It was a goal that he's had for a long, long time uh, and a dream that he's now realized. Uh, you know, and I can't wait to see him make his debut. I, I know he hasn't gotten into a game yet uh, as we sit here on Friday afternoon, but uh, that will be a special moment for David uh, and for the city of Providence uh, at large, I would say. I just love seeing the Instagram photos of him, first in, in the Nets uniform, uh, but second, it's fun to see when, you know, the Nets are posting pictures of practice or a session or a shoot around or something like that. And there's David working out next to Kevin Durant and working out next to James Harden. Right. Like that's that's when you look at it and you say, wow, 
this young man's made it to the the big time. He's he's on the same bench, the same flights, the same trips, all of the same locker rooms as these guys, these mega stars. And so it's it's great. We look forward to whenever he gets, does get the opportunity to get on the court because it uh, I'm sure he'll make the most of his opportunity. You know, and, and, and that leads into what does David leave behind at Providence? Um, you know, where will the Friars go this year? Uh, you know, I, I think both you and I expect them to rebound to a certain extent. And, and by rebound, I mean bounce back, be a better team. I don't necessarily mean that in, in literal basketball terms. Um, Though that, that's, that does help. Yeah, sure. It does help. It does help. <laughs> Always helps. Uh, Providence is picked seventh in the Big East in the preseason poll by the coaches. Uh, Nate Watson was a consensus first team all Big East selection. Um, so what you do know is that folks expect Providence to be sort of an average team with one definite elite player uh, in Nate Watson. Um, but the reason we do this podcast is to dig under the hood and look for a little more. Uh, you know, Coity, I, I wonder, you know, just your initial impressions of the Friars, uh, you know, them being picked seventh, what you think Nate Watson's ceiling will be in this fifth year. Um, you know, maybe just some general themes that you're looking at going into the season. Well, um, Bill, it's an older team. It's an older team. We'll start with that. Um, we're looking at guys that have been in college basketball for a while. And Ed Cooley has constructed the roster that way. Bringing Nate back and surrounding him with older players, I think, is a, is a great thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's playing with guys that he has played with in the past, obviously. But also the transfers and, and the guys that we'll see coming off the bench also help in that in terms of their experience. There's not going to be a lot of guys that are learning. It's going to be a lot of guys that have already learned. They have been in the college game. And so, yeah, with an older team, I think there is this sense of, okay, well, there's a sense of urgency. They want to get to an NCAA tournament, and they want to get there now. And they realize the opportunity they have in the Big East to do that. Um, You know, I look at this team, and it was up and down last year. They need to find some consistency from a few different guys on the roster. And it's funny, I was uh, reading something on the uh, on ProvidenceJournal.com today, uh, written by uh, one Bill Koch, about a, uh, a guy that's a senior now, which is just crazy to think about, that we've reached senior year for A.J. Reeves. Yeah, But that's a guy that, Bill, I agree with you. When you wrote it, I had written it down in my notes, been saying it for a while. If A.J. Reeves can step forward and be consistently a guy that gives you offense and and does uh, a few different things for you this season, then the Friars can reach their ceiling, which is being an NCAA tournament team out of the Big East. And where that goes in the big dance, who knows? But you want to get there. You want to get back there. Um, These are guys, too, a guy like AJ, and I think of a guy like Nate, too. They have been in this program a few years. And they had the NCAA tournament stolen away from them two years ago. Yeah, by COVID-19, right. They would have been there. And so they have to be motivated to get there and experience it because we've gone through a few years here that Providence has not been in the tournament. And hard to to believe uh, with some of the success and big wins that they've had. But it's been a few years. And so I think with an older team, there's that sense of urgency. And I think they'll hold each other accountable. That's that's what you get when you have a group of guys that have been around the game for a while. Yeah, five consecutive NCAA tournaments for Providence between 2014 and 2018. That was the first time in program history. Uh, 2019, they reached the NIT. It was a younger team. Reeves and David Duke were playing a lot of minutes. You could see that they were sort of building 
towards something. Uh, 2020, obviously, they finished so well, winning six in a row in eight of the last ten. Um, you know, looked like a mid-digit seed, you know, maybe eight, nine, somewhere in there. They had played their way firmly into the field. Uh, obviously, didn't have a chance to play in the NCAA tournament that year. Nobody did, yeah. uh, unfortunately. Last year, I think, was odd from the standpoint that there weren't necessarily a lot of young players on the court, and they still struggled. You, it wasn't you couldn't chalk it up as as a quote unquote developmental season, maybe like twenty eighteen nineteen was, where you had freshmen who were highly touted recruits who you could look and say, well, they're playing twenty eight minutes, they're learning, they're just not quite ready to win yet. Sure, um, you know, Providence just didn't necessarily play well. Uh, on too many nights um, you know there were issues whether it was defensively in, in certain games uh, shooting w- was a problem all year particularly yep. from three yep. um, you know just did not score very easily on offense it, it looked um, it looked like a lot of work at that end of the floor uh, on most nights um, and the things too Bill that, that make them that give them success offensively especially if you're not making the shots from the perimeter one of the things that Providence has been good at under Ed Cooley the last few years, at least, is offensive rebounding and getting second chances. They they do not mind winning a rock fight 58-54 to 54 if they have to. Nope. They did it at Villanova a few years ago. Uh, I, I, that's just uh, That still sticks out to me as one of those games that it was like, man, this is ugly to watch. But man, Providence can grab a board, give themselves chances, and when they need to score, they scored. Uh, Last year, they were eighth in the Big East in rebounding offense. They got to they got to get more boards. That that has to happen. And we, to give you a little insight into seeing some of the practices so far, uh, Ed Cooley is stressing that he knows that his team needs to rebound more, and so. They're going to try to do that. And they've got a big bull in Nate Watson that's going to try to help them do that. They've got Ed Croswell who's going to try to help them do that. And it's not just going to be those two guys. It's going to be everybody that's going to have to crash the glass, crash the boards, and grab the ball and give them extra chances offensively because that's when Providence is at its best. It's a good observation by you. We go to our friends at Ken Palm. Uh, Providence in 2019-20 was a top 30 offensive rebounding team Mm -hmm. in the nation. Last year, they sunk to 129. Yeah. The nation. So a significant fall in that area. Um, you know, something we looked at last year, Cody, was defense. Uh, Providence had a top 50 national defense six years in a row, according to Ken Palm. Last year, they were 74. Um, now, you might look and you say, it's not that big a drop. But when you struggle offensively, like they did, and scoring doesn't come easily, like it, like was the case most nights for Providence. Those fine margins on the other end sort of make a difference. Sure, um, you know, and, and so you look at the roster this year and you think Nate Watson, your leading scorer coming back, someone who can give you what he gives you. Uh, you'd expect him to push twenty points a game somewhere in that area over the course of the year. Who on the perimeter is going to make it a little easier for him? I I wrote about A.J. Reeves simply because I think he's the most talented piece they have, the most explosive piece, uh, the guy who makes scoring look the easiest, quite honestly. When when he's making shots and in rhythm and and confident, I think he's a star. Um, He's put in a lot of work in his body over the offseason. I know he's confident, feeling good. Uh, A.J., for folks who don't know, actually interned with ABC6. Coity and, and Ian Steele know him very well. Mm-hmm. He's very bright. 
He's very responsible. Um, you know, really a, a wonderful kid. He is. Um, you know, so you know that he cares about what he puts out on the floor. Um, you know, you, it, it matters to him that he has a good year this year and that he plays well and sort of lives up to, you know, what everybody might have expected when, when he was recruited. Um, you know, so I think he's going to take responsibility in that way. And, and I think that they have some guys who can help him. You, you mentioned, you know, some of the older guys that they brought in. Uh, I think Al Durham's going to be a good piece for this team. Me Grad too. transfer from Indiana. Um, a secondary ball handler on the floor, whether it's next to Jared Bynum or, or Alan Breed. Uh, we've said in the past when Providence has been good, under Ed Cooley, it's been Dunn and Cotton, Dunn and Cartwright. Um, you know, you've had Pipkins out there with Duke. Uh, you've sort of had two guys who are capable of playing the point guard, moving the ball, spreading it around. I think Durham could be that piece next to Jared Bynum or, or Alan Breed this year. Uh, and obviously, you bring in Justin Manaya, grad transfer from South Carolina. Uh, he's a New Jersey native, wanted to play a little closer to home. His dad, Omar, is, is a longtime baseball executive, former general manager of the Expos and the Mets. They still live in the New York area. He's going to be able to get to Seton Hall, St. John's, Villanova. You know, it's going to be a more comfortable place for him, maybe, than in the SEC. Um, you know, so you look at those two guys coming in and, and you know, sort of how they change the calculus on a team that already had Nate Watson, already had Noah Horkler, two grad guys, already had A.J. Reeves, who's a fourth-year player. Um, you know, all of a sudden, you are older, more calloused, more experienced. Uh, Ed Cooley's going to have to do a lot less teaching, maybe, practice to practice, and will maybe be able to, to devote more of his time to just game planning, scouting. Here's how we beat these guys. Here's how we win this game. You guys are experienced. You know how to prepare. You know how to get ready. I can more turn you loose and let you go play. Well, and for the coaching staff, Bill, just based off of the Stonehill exhibition and the quote unquote secret scrimmage with Purdue, looking at, you know, just the box score and the minutes distribution and whatnot, to me, Bill, it looks like the coaching staff, and this is not just, it's not set in stone, obviously, the coaching staff already has an idea of what their rotation is going to look like. Yep. There's nine guys that stand out. Yep. The five starters and the four off the bench. We're talking Durham, Bynum, Reeves, Horkler, Watson starting. Mm -hmm. And then it's Breed, Goodine, Croswell, and Manai off the bench. Those are the guys that are getting the minutes. Right. So to me, the coaching staff's already looking at it and saying, this is what we want to do. They, they have an idea. They're not trying to figure things out, trying to integrate you know, this player, that player. And not to say a younger guy like a legend Jeter or somebody like that's not going to come in, wow them in practice, wow them in a game, whatever. Who knows? That always that happens. Alan Breed himself, I think, was a nice step forward for them as a freshman last year. He stepped in and helped them when Bynum got hurt. Injuries happen. Yes, they do. Those guys, Depth is in, important. Case, in case of emergency, you break glass. Yep. You put Alan Breed out there instead of Jared Bynum. You see Alan Breed have a couple really good games. At Villanova sticks out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's development, that's growth, but you don't necessarily want to depend on that for a no. really good team. And that to me is, I, I think the, it gives the coaching staff confidence and it gives these players confidence. Like, this is the group we're rolling with. This is what we're going to do. Here's our roles. Everybody be great at your role. And let's see what we, what we can do. Right. And, you know, maybe they're using the formula. You, you mentioned Justin Minaya. And without having seen him play much, Bill, myself, to me, when I look at him as a player, I look at just the measurables, whatnot, what he did at South Carolina. To me, he looks like that 
stat sheet stuffing guy that's going to do a lot of different things for you in the mold or sort of down the road of what a, an Alpha Diallo could do for you a couple of years ago. Alpha was a great player for this program, so I'm not going to, I'm not, it's comparing is, you know, that's a tough thing to do, but. Uh, you're going the poor man's route. That's okay. I, no, I, I think, but for, for Justin, it's a great role to have. And for this team, I think it's something that, did they have that last year? Did they have a guy like that last year on the, on the team that could do all of those things? I don't know if they did. And so to be able to come in off the bench, give you some scoring, give you some rebounding. I mean, this is a guy that had three double-doubles at South Carolina last season. Like, this is a guy that's going to even try to set guys up. That, to me, I think is an important thing. And that's why they they looked at Justin and said, wow, this this could be a really good addition to our program. Your, your only real contenders for that dirty work uh, wing guy role last year would have been Jimmy Nichols and, and Greg Gant, who both transferred. And you know, neither one really stepped forward and grabbed right. that role um, you know, and made it his own uh you know so i think that's a good observation by you we we know that you know when ed's teams have been good in the past they've always had good guard play and they've generally had a a true five men uh who they could play around in the paint Mm -hmm. um you know someone who's physical who can mix it up in the big east uh you know the big east is still a conference even in this era of pace and space where it seems like just about every team has a true five man, um, you know, one of those glass eater type guys inside, uh, you know, somebody who makes you think twice if you want to go to the rim uh, on a given night, if it's intense and you're planning a sellout and that guy gets a little jacked up and he whacks you in the teeth going for a layup. I don't know if I want to go back in there after he waxed me in the teeth going <laughs> right. for a layup. That's why these guys are on scholarship and I watch, yes. uh, you know, because I'm just not that tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but I, I, I certainly think that, um, you know, you, you're right. They have a better idea of the pieces, the roles on this roster already. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they, they are older guys and, and they do have a bit of a track record. And, and you do sort of have an idea of, of who these guys are, how they've been best used before, how they can best use them now. Um, you know, you look at the Big East, and, and obviously, you know, Villanova is, is the the heavy favorite to win the conference. It, it seems like it's that way every year. Um, you know, they're a preseason top five team in the AP poll. Um, UConn is certainly a team that, that folks are looking at. Uh, they claim the other first place vote at Madison Square Garden and Media Day. They're picked second. Um, I look at Connecticut. I, I wonder... If they're going to be able to find a lead scorer, I don't wonder about them at the other end of the floor. I think they're going to be a monster on defense. Dan uh, Hurley team? No. Yeah, stunning, they, right? Uh, you know, really not going to be fun to play against uh, on most nights, I, I wouldn't think. Um, you look at the rest of the league, uh, the coaches are bullish on Xavier. Um, you know, Paul Scruggs and, and Zach Fremantle have been in the league for a long time. Um, you know, they expect St. John's and Seton Hall to finish fourth and fifth. Uh, Butler at sixth, Providence, Creighton, Marquette with Shaka Smart in his first year, uh, and Cumberland native Tyler Kolick uh, with with uh, the Golden Eagles. Really good reports coming out of there with Tyler. Really good. Looks, really good. Looks good for him. He was the A10 rookie of the last uh, rookie of the year last year. George Mason. He moves to the Big East. Uh, Georgetown, who shocked everyone to win the conference tournament title last season uh, and DePaul in the Memorial 11th spot uh, much like Fordham in the A-10 <laughs> being picked 14th sorry Blue Demons uh, you know another new coach there Tony Stubblefield who was a longtime assistant at Oregon under Dana Altman uh, Coyte 
I know you and I have seen Oregon in the NCAA tournament in person. Yes, uh, we have. In Sacramento a few years ago. Thanks for the reminder. Uh, that's an excellent program. Um, you know, a perennial winner. Uh, if Tony Stubblefield is able to do 70 or 80% of what Dana Altman has done at Oregon, he's going to have DePaul flying in no time. Um, you know, but I, I, I wonder, Coyte, just looking at the Big East, um, you know, obviously Providence is picked where they're picked, but you know, your thoughts on how they stack up against the rest of the league. Nova's Nova. Um, Gillespie comes back and is healthy with Samuels, with guys there. Which they, is great to see, by the way. Yeah, it is. I agree. Him getting hurt at the end of last year. Uh, Stuck. By all accounts, I don't know Colin at all, mm. uh, but by all accounts, a terrific kid. Yeah. Um, and before the NCAA, it sort of declared the COVID year, and you know, you weren't certain if guys were going to be able to come back. Guy gets hurt in the last five games of his career? That's terrible. Horrible. That'd be an awful way to end. So great that he's back and, and healthy and feeling good. Who did that in Major League Baseball? There was somebody, was it somebody for the Yankees that got like hurt mid-season, had to, he was going to retire. It was Mariano Rivera. It was, was it Rivera? Wow. That's, I, the, yeah, good I thought it was Rivera, but I couldn't think of it. Yeah. He was shagging flies, I think it was That's in Kansas right. City. That's right. In batting practice and yeah. he tore his ACL. Horrible. That's Mariano That's Rivera. Horrible. Puts everything back a year, but yeah. glad he can come back, go out on his terms. Um, you're right. UConn is... They're, they're going to be dogs. Uh, you know, the health of, I think, uh, Cook is going to be something that, you know, can really help them go to and reach their ceiling. Um, I I like Xavier. I just think Scruggs has been there for uh, 13 years, uh, and Fremantle is, you know, a good player, too. Like, having those guys, older, experienced guys that have played at a high level, I think that goes a long way. If you're Providence... Look, uh, St. John's has uh, you know uh, good talent there, but I think you can compete with them if you can find the consistency from you know some of your guys, and certainly Seton Hall and Butler. I think you can you know that's five, six, seven there in the conference. If you could finish ahead of them, if you can have you know a better season than those two, you're talking about being top five in the Big East, which means you're probably around the win total that you, in the record you need, which probably means that you're in the NCAA tournament. That's right. So those are the teams. Got to go beat Seton Hall and finish and perform better than Seton Hall. And Butler, you know, but, uh, Butler doesn't have a ton uh, returning, I, I don't think. They were young last year. Yeah. Um, you know, fair amount of guys there. Uh, St. Andrew's product, Miles Wilmoth is, Wilmoth is still is there. there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but you, you're curious whether or not they have sort of an all-conference type guy. Yeah, right. They don't have a Watson to you know, go do, with do there. They, do they have a superstar? Yeah, right. And that goes a long way. Sure. Um, it can help. Which is why I think St. John's is where they're at in this Biggie's poll. And, um you know, Seton Hall, Roden is a guy that I look at that can perform well for them, can be an all-conference type guy. Um, but I, I think Providence can be right there. And if you're in the top five, top six in the Big East, you're giving yourself a chance and build a decent resume, get a couple of decent uh, out-of-conference victories, uh, opportunities there at Wisconsin early on. Uh, you have Texas Tech at home, you know, playing in that classic where you may have Georgia and Virginia that, you know, who knows what you're going to have on that second game. That's an opportunity. They're going to have opportunity. Obviously, you have the league opportunities, and that's the benefit of playing in the Big East. But, you know, you snag an out-of-conference victory or two and take care of business there, then... You know, that's something that will be a nice notch in your belt. Yeah, the schedule being what it is, let, let's just look non-conference. I, I've got uh, 
their schedule open on Ken Palm in front of me. Uh, three top 50 games, non-league, as we go into the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, start off with Fairfield, Sacred Heart at home. Those are both warm-ups. Uh, for the Gavit games, you go to Wisconsin, who is a top 50 team. Um, that'll be a difficult trip. The Badgers are good every year. Um, you know, really a good test for, for Providence early. Um, New Hampshire at home, and then you go to the Legends Classic. Um, you start off with Northwestern, who's another top 50 team, according to Ken Palm, coming into the year. Yeah, yeah. You could play Georgia or Virginia uh, in your next game. Georgia, eh, not great. Virginia, Really, really good. good. <laughs> Tony Bennett's an excellent coach. Uh, that's a, a really difficult style to play. Uh, they're one of the slowest tempo teams in the nation. They play that pack line defense. Um, just brutal to, to deal with. Uh, St. Peter's home. Texas Tech home as part of the Big East Big 12 battle. Uh, Texas Tech obviously losing Chris Beard to Texas. Um, but still a team that, that is highly regarded by folks nationally. Um, they're 12 in Ken Palm. That's wow. where they finished last year. That's where they're projected. Wow. Um, you know, so you're interested to see if Texas Tech five or six games into the year has found themselves under a new coach, um, you know, what they're going to be able to produce under Mark Adams, who was a former assistant under Beard. Um, that's, a, that's a wild card game for me. And again, that's at the dunk. At correct? the dunk. That's, that's, that's intriguing. That's uh, a wild card game for me. That's part of a big week because at the end of that week on the Saturday, you have you or I coming in. You're resuming that rivalry. Okay. Can I say uh, something? Oh, here we go. Can I say something? He's leaned back from the table, and here we go. Uh, Two o'clock tip-off. Is that what it is now? Two o'clock tip-off? Originally, it was noon. Bill, 2 o'clock tip-off? That's when the network said it play. I don't care what network it is. Oh, boy. Seriously? Oh boy! I'd rather noon. You work for a network. I, two, yeah. How and I wouldn't schedule a basketball game at two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Go ahead, Cody. How silly is that? Go off. That's so stupid to me. Sorry, I don't usually go this straightforward with my my opinions. Please do. But two o'clock. Ah, get out of here with that. That's embarrassing. That's a diss to the rivalry to me. That's a diss. I I just oh man. Do I not like that? Two o'clock. Either you play it at noon or you play it at seven o'clock. Two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon when there's college football conference championship games that day. That's probably why they're doing it. To me, still, it's silly. Two o'clock on a Saturday. Come on. So your thinking is it either should lead off the day at noon in the first slot. Yeah. Or it should be in prime time. Or even even like a four o'clock is better. Like four o'clock, your late afternoon. You've had your two o'clock is in the middle of your day on a Saturday. Like that's a throwaway time to me. It is. You don't have you don't have newscasts during, at two o'clock. You have new you have newscasts at four o'clock. You'll have a noon news. Like you know what I'm saying? Those are times that you hit during the day. That's why when you work in news, those are when you have your different newscasts. You ever watch a two o'clock newscast? No, because people are doing things. That is so dumb to me. I couldn't believe when I saw that today because I assumed it was noon, and I wasn't. I wasn't great with a noon tip off, but I'm like, okay, fine. Noon tip off. Maybe you're avoiding the college football games at night, conference championships, whatever. Two o'clock. Come on, man. That is so dumb to me. Rant over.
Outstanding. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you only get that usually on Cordishian Coit. Well, and usually it's Scott doing it to you. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Or it's uh, Stephen Fall River getting me I'm fired not, up. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, not going to antagonize you any further. Uh, I would say I'm just thrilled that they're playing the game this year. I am too. Uh, me too. We, we could do a whole podcast. And in fact, we did at some point last year on uh, the value of that game for Providence and why it wasn't played with nobody in the stands and you know whatever else. Uh, you know that's actually less than a month away if you think about it we're mm-hmm. November 5th um, I anticipate a fair amount of venom going into that one maybe a little more so than, than normal out of both sides <laughs> well hopefully we'll be watching on television at 2 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon I will be at the dunk in me fact me too uh, I will be among the thousands at the dunk on that day now look Personally, I'll get to take a nice little nap in the morning, and I can go over the dime. That's the you know whatever. That but that's my schedule. I'm a weird schedule. I'm a weird guy. So you know, I me too. <laughs> Two o'clock is actually kind of the start of my day. Yeah. So that's sure. like the morning for me. Uh, but you know, so fans I'm, like two I'm o'clock. Like, I, I actually like two instead of noon because I don't, I'm not a morning person. I do not get up. The, the television thing to me is what, what kills me. I'm not going to go. It's, I, I it's the networks. Going. They yeah. tell you when to play. It's I, so dumb. You know, I think it's either going to be on CBS Sports Network or something like that. They it's, tell you when to play. It is yeah. what it is. Uh, you know, and they want the game on TV. It's recruiting. It's cash. You know, it's all those things. Um, okay. So, <laughs> two, two. Off track. Two more non-conference games after... Providence host Rhode Island. Uh, Vermont comes to the dunk with some familiar faces. Thomas Murphy and Justin Missoula are both playing there. Right. Um, Both ancient by college basketball standards at this point. It'll be good to see those guys. We also see them come to Brown uh, at one point earlier this, uh, you know, at some point in the non-conference. Then Providence wraps up with Central Connecticut. Uh, They go into their exam break and they come back starting the Big East at UConn. Uh, You know, and that's from December 18th on, you play your 20 Big East games and, and you're in a sprint um, you know, to try and rack up some quality wins. Uh, you know, every game in the Big East, with the exception of the two against DePaul, are top 100 games according to Ken Palm. So, wow. you have an idea of, of what the conference is going to look like. Connecticut's top 25 game. Uh, you play Seton Hall your third game. They're a top 50 game. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have, it's going to be a difficult ride. Uh, going through that league, and and honestly, that's what Providence wants. Because if you finish fourth or fifth or sixth in the league, like like you said, you, the conference strength is going to drag you into the NCAA tournament, and at that point, you have a chance to do something. Yep. Um, you know, so I don't I don't think that that Ed Cooley is going to worry about uh, the caliber of teams on his schedule. I, I'm sure that he is thrilled to be getting out there and challenging his guys in, in a certain way. Um, you know, and that all starts on Tuesday night when Providence hosts Fairfield. Uh, you know, in their season opener. Looking forward to it. Really um, am. Across town on on Tuesday night uh, on the east side, we will have two Rhode Island teams going at it. Brown will host Salve Regina um, on Tuesday. Uh, our first sight of Brown in twenty months, a little more. Yeah. Right. Haven't seen him since late March twenty twenty. Late February. Yeah, it's been far too long. Way too since long. we've seen Mike Martin's team. Um, you know, obviously, based on what happened last year with, with COVID nineteen, the Ivy League decided to prioritize the the public response to the pandemic, public health response to it, um, and did not sponsor athletic competitions for the 2020, uh, 2021 
academic year. So now you, you sort of had, and we see it a little bit in the fall with football. I know you do a fair amount of Brown football on, on TV uh, for the Ivy League package on ESPN+. Plus. Um, you know, and we've seen it with their women's soccer team, who, who are the Ivy League champions. Um, there is a certain energy on campus at Brown right now that was completely absent. Uh, you know, even, yeah. even at URI, at Providence, yes, it was sad, it was sleepy, um, you know, it wasn't what it was supposed to be, but you still had some teams able to play able to get out there um, when you're a student athlete that's so much of your identity um, so much of your routine uh, you know something that you've worked your whole life for to that point uh, to be a college athlete at, at a very high level um, you know and for the Ivy League kids last year to not have that I can't imagine you know what that period was like for for so many of them I, I'm just thrilled that, that Brown is going to be back out there playing Salve and and you know getting into a non-conference schedule that it's very challenging Bill I, I think that's a great way that you just put it is that it, it becomes a part of your identity and we're talking about not even just division one high level athletes I was a division three athlete and I, I can't imagine having to go a, a, a year where I just couldn't play, you know, w- with the teammates that I had and the work that we put in and all of that, like, I just, I can't imagine somebody saying, yeah, you can't play and everybody else around you is getting the chance to play. That was the most difficult part for them. And, right. Um, yeah, you're right. It's It can be so much of your identity and... Um, and not it just past college. I, it's funny. I'm sitting here and my, my phone just went off and one of my old college baseball teammates was texting me about something. And it's like, you know, we've been friends for 15 years and it's like it's so much a part of you. And, um, you know, yeah, to, to be, you know, sitting it out and not being able to play, um, you know, for this men's basketball program that really has some some big expectations and, and really has some big goals this year. Um, and at one point they thought. Maybe that that chance to compete in the Ivy League and, and reach a ceiling that they wanted to reach with, you know, their top player returning. At one point, they thought that had been dissolved right. because of not being able to play last year in the pandemic. You know, fortunately for Brown, Tammany Cho has returned and has the chance to return and finish off what's been a great career for the Bears. Not often that happens, but the NCAA did do something right when they offered athletes a blanket COVID year. Yes. A blanket redshirt year uh, that could be used without exception, without explanation. Um, and that's given Tamin Cho a chance to come back and, and compete for an Ivy League championship. And, 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 you know, I think it's wonderful to have him back on campus. He's a wonderful kid. Great um, kid. You know, a, a really good leader for this team um, and a really good player. I mean, let, let's just be honest. Of, of all the players that, that Mike has had in his program while leading, while leading the Bears, he's just he's one of those guys that in terms of the message and the goals and what they want to do with the program I don't think you can find a better player that has bought into that to that than than T and to have him back and leading this team and again to have that opportunity you know I am really glad that the presidents in the Ivy League looked at it reconsidered it and decided yeah, I know the Ivy is very, very much about its traditions and the hard line in the sand. 
but this was an extenuating circumstance. I wish it took them more than four months so that T didn't have that uncertainty of, I need to transfer. Oh, wait, now I can come back. Uh, but I'm glad that they did the right thing here and granted for this season the chance to come back as a grad player and, and finish out the the career that they deserve, not just T, but anybody in this league that was in that scenario. They deserve it. They put in the work, and you want your student athletes to feel good about the conference and being able to, you know, finish off careers and perform at a high level in the conference because you were going to lose a lot of talent in the conference too if that happened. You know, and, and that leads into just the uncertainty in the Ivy League this year in terms of predictions. Yeah, who's going to be good? Who has what? Are you going to have a freshman who, like, you, you look at Brown's roster, okay? You've got someone like Noah Marin, Providence native, former star at Moses Brown. He's in his third year at Brown. He hasn't played a game yet. Hasn't played. Sat out a year as a transfer. Missed the COVID year. It's just, and his story is not a unique one in the league. You're going to have freshmen in their second years. Some of them haven't been on campus mm-hmm. until this summer. Um, you know, you're in your second academic year of school. Haven't played, haven't been on campus, couldn't find the weight room until like June or July or August when you're in for summer workouts. It's just, it is a very unique set of circumstances going into the year. I I think that explains why the preseason media day went the way it did. Five different teams received at least two first place votes. Brown was one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Brown was picked fifth behind Yale, Harvard, Princeton, and Penn, the usual four. Uh, you know, the teams that uh, the others in the Ivy League are, are battling to break into. Um, you know, but I, I, I think that the coaches are supposed to know who they have on their teams, who their opponents have, and whatever else. And their opinions are so split um, that I don't necessarily know that you could look at someone like us or, you know, fans of, of Brown or other teams in the Ivy League and expect them to be experts on what's going to happen over the next five months. To me, I was looking at rosters and I'm looking at names and I'm looking at guys that have had experience in the league. And that's where I was pointing and saying, and with every team, I'm looking at it and saying, well, he's a good player. Well, he, he's got some experience. Oh, uh, well, this could be good. Well, you know, Brown's got this. And it's like, you're right. It's it's all over the place. It was reflected in the poll. And for Brown, if you're, you know, if there is a lot of uncertainty in the league, to have two certainties in your starting five in Ticho and a returning defensive player of the year in Jalen Ganey, right. that's a great place to start. Yes. We'll we'll talk about the roster we actually know. Which is Brown. Yeah. We, we know a little bit about these guys. Um, you know, coming in, I, I, I wouldn't pretend to think that I can handicap the other teams in the league. But uh, in terms of Brown, obviously, Tamanang Cho is, is a sort of do-it-all forward for you. He can handle the ball. He can shoot it a little bit. He looks leaner to me. Um, you know, looks like he's more intent on playing on the perimeter, being a little more explosive. Uh, Jalen Ganey is obviously a guy who they need to keep healthy. Because, yes, 100%. Because there are not two of him on this roster. <laughs> My notes. Health is important with him, Jalen uh, Ganey. Very good. Uh, you know, he, he's battled a, a little bit of a right hamstring injury uh, early in camp. Uh, he sat out there brown and white scrimmage, um, you know, at the Pizzatola Center. I think that was a couple weekends ago. Uh, for precautionary reasons, he is back at practice. Um, but he is the type of guy who Brown doesn't usually get. Mm. Six foot nine, 
pogo stick athleticism, um, you know, someone who can really get off the floor and be a factor at the rim, uh, you know, someone who scores it easily on lobs and dunks and putbacks and, and whatever else. Um, you know, there, there just simply have not been many players at Brown, in my experience, covering the Bears or watching the Bears like Jalen Ganey. You'd have to go back to like a Quacamensa. And and even then, I think they're different players. Yeah, Cedric was, um, uh, you know, a little burlier, yeah. a little more physical. Um, you know, maybe not as, as explosive He's not as, as, as Jalen Exactly. Is. Flashy with the with the blocks and yes. whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Quacamensa was a great player for them, but Jalen's got that. You're right. It's rare how, how high he can get up, how much he can make a block – look like a just a <laughs> a turning point in the game when it happens it's it's crazy just how flashy it is i mean you're in the business of highlights so i, I know jalen's given you plenty oh yeah over the course of uh, a few years here um you know and that's that's he has that rare ability um you know which like hassan martin had it at uri and, yeah. and he was a little shorter uh a little more compact than jalen but just when guys like that get off the floor and, and the ball's in the air and you just see them come swooping in and, and swatted in the stands, you're like, wow. Yeah. You know, it's just very catchy on the eye. Uh, you know, and he is that type of player. Um, David Mitchell, the third member of that front court, a, a veteran, a guy who can play a little bit on the wing. Uh, those three are roommates. They have great chemistry together. Uh, it was actually David and, and Jalen who prevailed on Tamanang Cho to pull his name out of the transfer portal good. and come back. So good recruiting by your teammates. <laughs> uh, Mike Martin, TJ Sorrentine, Anton Gray, you, you can give those guys a little bonus, uh, you know, for their recruiting abilities in that way. Um, David, to me, yeah, and I'm not surprised when 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 the announcement was made by the presidents that they were going to grant the extra year. To me, I was like, okay, this is when Brown's going to dig in, and I'm not surprised that it would be Jalen and, and David. I know that David and T have a you know a close relationship too, and um, yeah, and David is a you can tell as as time has gone on. It's unfortunate we haven't seen it the past you know almost two years on the court, but I think David can really emerge as a as a leader for this team. He's just such a gritty. He is. And this is kind of fun. I don't want to say it, maybe not this week, but prior to this week, I would say he's got that Marcus Smart sort of thing, oh. you know, with his team. I say prior to this week because there's been some things this week with the Celtics. But uh, <laughs> David, David going to come out and say that Tamanang needs to pass the ball more. Right? Is, is, that, is that where we're going? I think David's smart enough to know he, that T is going to he, pass he the ball. He shoots it too and much. And he's good about that. Yeah, um, good. Yeah. But just that when, when you know when Smart is at his best for the Celtics, it's just he dive on the floor, go get the ball, gritty, junkyard dog up in your face. Yep. Like That's what David, I think, can be at his best for this team. And to have a defender like that, you know, as, as talented as this team is, and I think they're going to, you know, they'll, they'll find ways to score, you know, through these guys. But defensively, I'm excited to see what this team can do because I think those three guys, starting with those three guys, they can really, I think, grind out some teams. It's a good front court. Uh, David and, and Tamanang, obviously, old uh, grassroots teammates as well with Mass Rivals, uh, a, a good Adidas program in Massachusetts. Um, these guys have done a lot of winning together. Yeah. Uh, you know, they produced David Duke, AJ Reeves, Makai Ashton Langford. Um, been a good program. Azar Swain who is arguably Yale's best player, also played 
for Mass Rivals. So, you know, there there is there is a longstanding relationship between those two, as you mentioned. Um, and the front court for Brown isn't really the place that, that I have questions. It's in the back court. It's the back. Um, you know, because it is a, a group of guys who aren't necessarily experienced, who haven't played a ton together. Um, that group will determine this team's ceiling, how quickly they bring it together. Uh, I know that, that Mike Martin and, and talking to TJ Sorrentine a little bit, I know they feel like these guys are talented. It's just a matter of how good will they be against the rest of the Ivy League. And maybe that's where the year off, you, you haven't necessarily seen what other teams have, how comfortable other teams are going to be, how advanced they're going to be playing together. Um, you know, And Brown is sort of trying to put that together now with Dan Friday, with Perry Cohen, who profiles as a little more of a point guard. Friday's a little more of a scoring guard, a physical kid out of Detroit. Um, Josh Watts is very athletic, played a little bit as a reserve in 2019-20. They were all freshmen. They were coming off the bench behind Brandon Anderson and Zach Honsaker at that point. Um, those two guys were playing the majority of the minutes. These guys were sort of getting spot minutes. You wonder how much of a jump they can make in two years. I mentioned Noah Marin. He's a transfer from Skidmore. Was a really good player in Division Three. Um, gives them some size at six foot five. He he's a little bigger, um, you know, than especially Perry, who, who's more of a point guard type guy at six one. Yeah. Um, you know, so I I wonder how he slots in. Uh, I think the most advanced guy they have in the backcourt is Paxson Wojcik, uh, the transfer from Loyola Chicago. Uh, he's the son of Doug Wojcik, who is an assistant coach at Michigan State. Uh, Paxson looked really good in the brown-white scrimmage. Uh, I think he led both teams in scoring. Left-hander, can shoot it a little bit. You're playing for the Ramblers, who have gone deep into the NCAA tournament on multiple occasions the last three or four years with Sister Jean. Um, you know, you take a guy out of that program who's gotten on the court for a Sweet 16 team last year, that's a big addition for Brown. There's something to be said about having somebody on any team at any level that knows what it looks like that knows, that has the experience of here's the work that was put in, here was the goal that we had, here's how we accomplished that goal, here is the payoff, here's what you need to do in order to get to that point. Um, and so that's why I, I like Paxson's edition here. Um, but you're right, um, you know he's going to be a, a key, and, and so are some of the younger guards. And it's good that Dan and Perry have had experience. They came off the bench. They were playing with Zach and with Brandon Anderson. Um, but now it's it's time for them to step forward. And, you know, that's going to be the key. If, if those guys can step forward. And Dan is Dan Friday, is a t- he's tough. He's tough. I, you know, I think there's going to be a toughness, a grittiness there. Again, why I'm excited about the defense on this team, because I think there's a lot of guys that can just be – they're going to be tough. I think they're going to be tough. I don't, I don't think you get soft kids out of Detroit generally. No that, way, man. That is, that is not a place where no you way. flourish in the basketball <laughs> community if you're soft. I, I wouldn't think. And and Perry Cowan, you know, uh, something I can obviously say about him. From two years ago, this was a kid that, and it always I, this always stands out. It really does. And it, it was not for show. It was because you can tell that the kid loves the game and wants to get better. There were nights, you know, we would call the games on ESPN Plus, and Bill, we'd be leaving the gym, and the shooting machine would get rolled back out on the floor as everybody's leaving, mm-hmm. and there's Perry Cowan working on a shot. Because he knows. He knows that I want to get better. I think I can be a good player for this program. And if he's had two years of that, when he can be in the gym, 
then I think this could be the time where it where it pays off. And so um, these guys care. They they want to be good. They want to play well. And I think that the the guys at the top of this roster and Ticho and Jalen and David. They're going to emphasize to these guys, this is a big opportunity this year for us. And it's going to be on those guys, the younger guys, the guys with bigger roles now, to step forward in order for it all to work and for them to reach their ceiling. You know, it's a good point by you. And and I think the Ivy League is going to illustrate it the best. Uh, You know, which guys took personal responsibility? Yes. Which guys had the best work habits? Um, You know, because it's essentially been two years. Where, where we haven't seen them. And for a large amount of that time, there wasn't a great amount of structure for them. They were taking class at home via Zoom. They didn't have school facilities. Uh, you don't have a coach breathing down your neck to get in the weight room, uh, you know, to do your running, to do your conditioning. Um, you know, so I think there are going to be some guys in this league who are capable of taking a big jump this year, maybe being a lot better than what we saw two years ago, um, you know, based on the work that they put in privately on their own, uh, could be completely different players from who we saw a couple of years ago. Uh, but that largely has to do with how much responsibility did they take personally? How much work did they put in on their own games? Um, you know, certainly watching Brown scrimmage each other, their guys looked in good shape. Um, you know, they looked ready to get out there. Uh, you know, it's just a matter of how they look when they play against guys in different shirts uh, on the other side of the floor. Um, you know, and you look at Brown's schedule, and, and obviously, you know, Mike Martin with, with a veteran team and with a team he hopes competes at the top of the Ivy League, he put together a brutal non conference schedule. Challenges. Uh, that's, that's really, really going to push these guys. Um, you know, you play Salve, and, and right away, your second game is at North Carolina. Uh, you know, just coming right out of the blocks. Wow. Playing in Chapel Hill, a, a bit of a homecoming for Jalen Ganey. I know he's a Raleigh guy, but, you know, you can drive there, uh, you know, you can get there. Uh, well, sorry, Greensboro for, for Jalen. But, um, you know, you can drive there. You can get there. I would assume he's going to have a fair amount of family there. Uh, Central Connecticut and Johnson and Wales at home. And then you go to the Paradise Jam and you play Creighton to start off. Big, Big East. East opponent. Um, you know, you're guaranteed three games there. None of those are going to be easy. That's a really good field. Uh, you play Brian at home. That's going to be a great game. That's a really interesting game the day after Thanksgiving. Really interesting game there. And they opened the season a couple of years ago against each other, and it was a great game. Played a great game at Bryant, Mm -hmm. which Brown won. Which Brown won. Memory serves. Yep, Brandon Uh, Anderson hit a late shot. Very tight game. Go all the way down to the end. Uh, You know, you would think that that those are two programs who are ready to compete in their respective conferences this year. Uh, As I said previously on on a preview edition of the pod, I think Bryant can win the NEC. um, I, I do, too. will be right there. I do, too. Uh, you know, you go to Quinnipiac and, and UMass Lowell. The Lowell game, obviously, a homecoming for Tam and Ang Cho. He is from there. Uh, you would imagine he's going to have a fair amount of family at that one. And, you know, that's been a, a tradition under Mike Martin. He's tried to schedule, you know, quote-unquote home games for his seniors or, or for his older guys. Um, <laughs> Did he think he was going to go to San Diego State, though, and beat them up a couple years ago? Certainly not. <laughs> the way that they did. But it happened. They crushed him in the first yeah. half, and it was it was shocking. Yeah. Um, you know, you got Merrimack, who's a uh, sacred heart, and then Merrimack, who is going to throw that 2-3 junk zone at you, and, mm-hmm. and you need to be patient and prepared. Uh, they played for Vermont, which, as we said earlier, Vermont's got some local ties, have their exam break and then go to URI and go to Maryland, the last two games of their non-conference. Uh, Rhodey is not going to forget. Nope. I, I, I certainly hope they haven't forgotten because nope. that was uh, 
that was a tough uh, bump in the road for them a couple of years ago, going to Brown and and losing the way that they did. That was a loss that metrics-wise might have kept you or I out of the NCAA tournament picture mm-hmm. that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for Brown, it was a huge boost. They beat him in a hail of three-pointers. Uh, you know, couldn't miss for, from deep that night. 85-75, if, if memory Hans- serves. Hansaker was on fire that night. Was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you know, and obviously you go to Maryland, uh, a team that's a preseason top 10, looks really strong. Old friend uh, Fats Russell would be running the point. That's the thing. Fats isn't going to forget about Brown either because he was on the floor that night with Rody. That was not good. Yeah. Not good in that yep. way. Um, you know, certainly a, a, a tough night for the Rams. Uh, yes, it was 85-75. Oh, good for nice me. job. Wow, the memory's not completely gone. a beautiful thing. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's only most of the way. <laughs> most of the way. Um, you know, so you wrap up your non-conference with Maryland. That's on December 30th. And then January 2nd, you start the Ivy League at Penn. Uh, Brown plays five of its first six league games on the road. Thank you very much. The good news is, though, with this is the new Ivy schedule, and so they're breaking up some of these longer road trips that you used to have. They are, you know, and that's going to that's going to help. I think, you know, teams that they don't have to get on a bus and go from, you know, Princeton to Penn or you know whatever, and you know they don't have to make those long trips in between and then play a game the next day. There's going to be a little bit of a. Uh, a break in there uh, of the schedule, and that's a. I think that's going to benefit you know an older team like Brown. Yeah, only only three traditional back to backs uh, here on their schedule in their mm-hmm. fourteen Ivy League games. Um, you know, very different. Uh, you know, certainly something that that the league is trying to do. Uh, you know, for player safety, player health. Uh, you know, they they. I think they they recognize the toll that it takes when you play. You know, like Cornell and Dartmouth, let's say back to back, and and you've got uh, you know, or Penn, Princeton, and, Penn, and Princeton. you're you're Harvard, and you make that bus ride, and you play Penn the first night, and then you play Princeton, and it's just, you know, it's it's not. You're in the Ivy League, you're on a bus, you're not on a charter. Uh, it's grueling travel. You don't leave until after class on a Friday, so it's not like you're there in the hotel the night before. Nope. Um, it is a very different existence in terms of basketball compared to the rest of the country. Um, you know, and, and Brown is, is certainly uh, you know familiar with that. It will look different this year. Um, you know, and I, I am intrigued by, by what Brown will be able to produce this season. But just looking at that schedule, like, okay, you're back-to-back. Okay, you, you play Penn to open at Penn on a Sunday afternoon. You come back, you go to class all week. Then you go at Harvard at Dartmouth. That's not bad. No. At Harvard, at Dartmouth. No, it's not. For you, for Brown, it's not bad. You're, you've broken up at Penn, at Princeton. You know, I'm just gonna, like briefly glancing through it here as I go. But, you know, I think that's that's a good thing for you. You don't have to do that sort of, you know, gauntlet road trip. That's tough. No, it's really hard. It, it is. It's really hard. Yep. Uh, you know, so Brown opens up. On Tuesday against Salve Regina uh, at the Pizzatola Center. Uh, I'm pretty certain I am going to be at URI Boston University okay. that night. I will be at Brown. Um, we'll be part of the broadcast. Most likely my first Brown game. Yeah. Could be Johnson and Wales. You're not going to fly to North Carolina? You know, I have friends at Chapel Hill, too. <laughs> I, I have a fraternity brother who lives there with his wife and, yeah. and his kids, and, and I would love to make that trip. Uh, it's it's one of those college basketball pilgrimages that I would I would love to make uh, you know but I don't necessarily think it's going to happen this time uh, one day though yeah one day for sure I will do Tobacco Road I will do North Carolina I will do Duke uh, 
you know, Brown obviously played there recently yeah. at Cameron Indoor. I, I will do that. Um, Coity, just uh, a, a quick word on uh, a couple of the women's programs in the state, and in specific to Providence. Um, with fans back in the stands at Alumni Hall, this will be the first chance we get to see Connecticut come to town since they've rejoined Holy the Big East. Cow. I have January 30th circled on my calendar. I plan to be on campus that night uh, when Pagebackers and the Huskies uh, invade Providence. I I just wonder, you know, Coity, looking at the Big East picture uh, with UConn back in the league now, if you're another team in that league, just what do you feel like your approach is? Because you're looking at UConn and they're the monolith and it's like you know, you know that they have better players than you, more tradition, more winning. Gino Auriemma is a Hall of Famer. Um, and as a coach, you're only human and your kids are only human. You can only tell them to put that out of their mind so much that they're playing Paige Beckers and Ozzy Fudd and, you know, they're probably going to win the league and, and what do we do? Um, you know, they lose once like every three years. Um, so I just wonder, you know, what would your approach be if you were an opposing coach in the Big East? That's a tough question. I, I mean, just you, you got nothing to lose. Go out there and play. Go out there and play and play hard and do the things that make you a, a good team on your best night. Uh, that would be my advice. I mean, because you just you know that sometimes a, a player like Beckers or a team like this is just going to come in and if they're having their best night, you can do everything you can, Bill. They're just going to be better. They're going to beat you. It doesn't matter who it is. Right. So go out and play and don't get discouraged. If, who cares what the final result is? Go out and play and give it your best effort. And that's, you know, I mean, and that sounds a little rah-rah, but like, I just think it's, it is what it is. Like they are who they are. And I'd like having UConn back in the league. I think it's good for the league having Gino there. He's a hall of famer. It's a tradition of a program. Like, it's a good thing for the league. It's it's tough for a, a program like Providence that, you know, again on on UConn's best night, you know, I think Jim Crowley realizes what they can be and what it's going to look like. But right. do the things that make you good, and that's all you can really do. I think, you know, and you, you have them in a stretch where you play five out of six on the road. Your only home game is UConn. Oh my goodness! Sunday at eleven a.m. Yeah. at Alumni Hall. It's hard. Thank you, Biggie Schedulers, for uh, you know just just shoehorning that one in there. But you've got some some good talent on your team, some good players. Like, you know, I think it's a great thing that you know. Have we actually had a chance to see Janae Crooms play yet? I can't remember when she no. when she transferred in. No, she's Cranston Cranston gal. Came she's in this back. Like that's a that's a yep. great thing to have back. You know, I I I know that St. Andrews and Mike Hart happy to have her back in town because she was a great player for their their school. Um, and so to have a local there, that's a great thing. Mary Baskerville, I can't believe Mary Baskerville's a senior now. It no. just seems like yesterday she was a freshman. Like you have good talent on your team, so go out and play and. Do the best you can. You also have a freshman coming in from New York, Megan Herter. If the name sounds familiar, she's the younger sister of Hawk shooting guard Kevin Herter. Right. Uh, you know, so you would expect if genetics are a thing, and I believe that they are, uh, that she would be a big time talent. Yeah. Uh, so I'd look forward to watching her play as well. Um, all right, Cody, the time has come. I'm about to do the same thing to you that I did to Maury Horshgordon <laughs> on the first preview edition of the podcast. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot. Over-under of one and a half, how many of our men's teams make the NCAA tournament? Oh, 
Um, naturally, right off the bat, I say over. And by over, you don't mean four. I don't mean four, no. Right. Um, but I say over. I say... I'm with you for yeah. what work. I, I agree with you. I think you're going to get... I think Providence has a chance to get back you know, there if they play the way they need to play in the conference schedule and have a good showing there. And again, top finish top five, top six. Um, the other two, we know how good Bryant can be. They're a contender for their conference championship. And so if they go out there and do the things that they need to do and go through this season, which is a grind, after getting to a conference championship game, is a grind to get... Put all put in all the work to get all the way back there to have the opportunity again, um, and so I think that they have a great opportunity, obviously, to be that second team. But I also think Brown can finish top four in the Ivy, and you finish top four in the Ivy, Bill, you get to the four team tournament, and what you have to do is win two games to get to the Big Dance. You have to win two games, and in a year like we talked about, that has some uncertainty there. Brown has to like his chances if they have a good season, they finish top four, and they go in with these veteran players into a conference tournament where they have experienced some high-level games in the Ivy. They can, they probably have the confidence that they can beat these teams and, and get there. And so, you know, heck, they could win, and Bryant could win, and the over could be three. Who knows? Uh, that would be... That would be the tops, and that would be a good problem for us to have in terms of who's going where to cover what team, you know? Oh, no question. <laughs> but I think one of those teams, between the two of them, will get there, um, and they obviously have to win their conference to do it. Um, you know, we'll see if it's Bryant or it's Brown, but I think they're both going to compete this year and be near the top of the league and have an opportunity to play their way into the NCAA tournament. And that's really exciting from these two programs. The, the reason you haven't brought up Rhode Island, and, and I think the reason that I uh, think you or I ultimately will fall short, is the strength of schedule isn't great. They don't necessarily have a ton of opportunities. Uh, if you go based on the net rankings last year, they play two Quadrant 1 games right now uh, at VCU and at St. Bonaventure. Now, obviously, that's going to change over the course of the season. And teams are going to perform how they perform this season. Um, you know, but Providence, uh, Providence, Rhode Island's best non-conference game is at Providence. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have a game, unless you end up playing Utah in the championship game of the Sunshine Slam, you don't necessarily have a game that's going to move the needle for the selection committee. Um, they're going to have to win a ton. A ton. Like 26-5. and five. Yeah. 25 and 6, something like that. An A-10 semifinal. You know, something along those lines. 23 and 7. Something like that. That's a lot of games to win. So I can't necessarily commit to you or I. Providence has sort of the opposite. You could go 20 and 11, and you go 12 and 8 in the Big East, and that's going to be enough because you're going to have eight or nine quadrant one wins, and the league is going to be good. And you might end up in Dayton. You might end up in 11 seed, and you know, you're playing in the first four. But, but you're there. You, but you're there. You're in the yeah. field. Uh, well, in the 8-10, too, with, with Rhodey, St. Bonaventure is going to be really good. They're top 25. They're good, and Richmond is good. Yeah. And, really, yeah, you're right. Richmond is really good, too. And, you know, as I said to Maury the other day, I could see a scenario much like in 2018 where the 8-10 ended up a three-bid league, and the third bid was Davidson. Who won it. They won the conference championship. Yeah. Right. 
uh, URI and St. Bonaventure were already in mm-hmm. as at largest. Uh, URI lost the conference title game to Davidson, an afternoon where Dan, Hur- Dan Hurley thought he might have cost his brother Bobby an at large bid. Oh, my Those gosh. Those are brutal oh, yeah. few hours for him yeah. uh, waiting to see Arizona State's name come up and ultimately it did um you know but he thought davidson might have been a bid stealer which they were yeah. and they might have stolen arizona state's bid that oh would that would have been really brutal harsh. um you know but i i just think the calculus in the a10 i could see a path to three bids if st bonaventure and richmond play the the way we think they can play uh and a third team wins a conference championship i i could see that happening um but that's difficult that's a thin line really difficult for uri mm-hmm. you know are you going to go to washington and win the conference tournament it's tough um what i did like though bill and i'll say this i liked the message coming out of roadie after that Wu game last night it was really good reestablish culture yes that's a great thing to hear from david cox you know and that's a great message for your players. And that's a great thing that if your players are buying in on that and reestablishing what they feel is URI basketball, I think that bodes really well for you because you get the buy-in, players commit to it, they work hard at it, you know what kind of style they're playing, what they're going to put on the floor. They say to other teams, this is how we play, go out there and beat it. I yeah. like that a lot. Yeah, be harder to play against, I, yep. I think. You know, last year too often they, they just were too easy to play against, especially at the defensive end. Um, you know, and if they're going to be edgy and tough and nasty, good. A program message is a nice thing to have. Because that wins in college basketball Absolutely. when you're edgy and tough and nasty. That, yeah. That works. And they got guys that can be that way. I, I think I think Antoine Walker can have a snarl to him. You know, <laughs> yes. I do. I just, I like I like Antoine as a player, and I think he can be a, a guy that pushes that culture. It, it's funny you because it. you get Antoine off the court, and he's a very nice kid. Yes, he is. Uh, <laughs> you know, couldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't step on an ant if no. they walked in front of him. Uh, you know, but you put him on the floor, and he's physical, and, yeah. and you know, he can do some things. And, and the Mitchell twins too, I think can. can Very I think Mackay can jump out of the gym. You know, that's yes. a great player for them. But I, I look at Providence, and I think the strength of the league ultimately can carry them in. I, I think the Big East is good for five or six bids. Uh, you know, Bryant obviously. It's, it's a difficult path. You're in a one-bid league. That's the only way you can get in. You have to win three games at the end of the year. Are you going to show enough patience to get back to that point? I think ultimately they will. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, you know, Brown, you mentioned it. You're in the Ivy League tournament. You only need to win two games. If you're in the A-10 and you don't get one of those double buys, you got to win four. Yeah. In four days. That's hard. Really hard. It's a lot more than two. Yeah. You know, and I know it's only two more wins, but at that time of year in those games... The way those games are played and how intense they are, that's really hard to do. Yep. Um, you know, so I agree with you. I look at Providence. I look at Bryant. I think those two teams can get into the NCAA tournament. Um, I give Brown and, and URI puncher's chances. Um, you know, but I would think that the Providence and Bryant would be the two favorites. I would go over as well with you. Uh, and that means that we're going to have a lot of great things to talk about this year all the way into March if it does play out that way. Well, and I, you know, we were talking about women's programs too, and I know you and Maury had talked about it, um, but you want to talk about NCAA tournament chances and, and teams that are going to be fun to watch this year. It will be really fun to watch what happens with the URI women down there in Kingston. Yeah, you know, I, I will admit that I don't necessarily know as much about 
uh, URI's non-conference schedule with respect to what a quality win would be, who sure. the good programs are that they're playing. I, I'm a bit ignorant in that way. Um, I know the A-10 is generally a one- or two-bid league. Um, you know, Dayton's very good, obviously, has been a top-25 team previously. VCU has been a very good team. UMass and Fordham are generally the other teams that, that are challenging at the top of that league. Um but URI has a certain zip to them right now. You, you talk about buzz mm-hmm. in college basketball. How do you generate buzz? How do we get it? Uh, you know, how do we entice the casual fan? And URI's done that. They've done a really good job of it, uh, and it shows in their recruiting. Uh, you know, you look at some of the grad transfers they've brought in. You don't get grad transfers to sign on to a loser. They don't give away their last year, thinking, "Ah, oh, we'll just." You know, play on this middling team, and I'll get mine, and, and we'll call it a day. You want to do something special your last season in college. That yeah. that's just the way it works. Yeah. Um, you know, and I I look at URI, and I think you bring in someone like Des Elmore, who is an All Big East player. Um, you know, she's there. She means business. Oh heck yeah! Something like that. Absolutely. Um, and they're thrilled to have her. Thrilled. And you know, Tammy Reese is just so driven and uncompromising. Um, you know, and, and just uh, so dedicated to reaching that certain level. Um, you know, she pulls that program through force of will. You have to have energy to rebuild a program, and and Tammy has a lot of it. Um, and I, I think back to, you know, we have talked about this off the pod, but I think back to my time working in Bangor, Maine, and when I first got up there, yes, the rebuilding of what has become a consistently good women's basketball program in America East in Maine, right, and. Richard Barron took over as the coach, came from Baylor. He had helped recruit Brittany Griner to get to that program. She's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, He goes up there, and Bill, he's literally getting people reinterested in the program by having lobster dinners on his front lawn at his new house in the Bangor, Orono area there. It's pretty good. Pretty smart. People are coming over. He's literally serving lobster dinners and saying, help my program. We want to make this thing a winner again. Uh, They wanted wanted to throw it back to the Cindy Blodgett days. They wanted it to be good again. And what did they do? They recruited internationally, which... You can see that Tammy has obviously done, you know, with some of the players that are returning. With Tahan, obviously, is going to, I'm sure, going to have another great season. Um, You know, and to, I think Tammy is even building off of that model. Recruit internationally, bring in good talent there Mm -hmm. to help build your program up. And now Tammy's taking advantage of the transfer portal and players like Des Elmore who want to come in and top off their careers, you know, on a team that's a winner. And, you know, even like a Chanel Williams coming from Providence, like Mm -hmm. this is a squad and, and Tammy has used all avenues to build it up and build it up fairly quickly here. So now it's about putting together on the court and, you know, reaching the height that they want to reach. Yeah, it'd be really interesting if, if we have a women's program contending. Uh, you know, they're, they're picked second in the A-10. I was saying to Maury, I, I can't necessarily remember a women's program in the state uh, being picked that high in their preseason poll. Yeah. Um, you know, that's it's very impressive, obviously, and, and such a leap that they've taken. And if they have the success that they want to have, Bill, this is now a program that can sustain it, too. That's the thing. People will look at it and say, man, Tammy Reese is fine. I want to go play for Tammy Reese down there. And that's what that's what happened with Maine and Richard Barron. Even when Richard had to step away from the program and had some of the health issues that he had, Amy Vashon has taken over there, and they have competed for the America East title every year. And it's been a while. I was up there in Maine 
nine, ten years ago almost now, and they've been good ever since. Yeah. Yeah, the hardest part is getting it started. Um, you know, and she's certainly off to a good start. She's got the energy. It's great. There in Kingston. She's she's laid a good foundation there. Uh, they'll be very interesting to watch, and, and obviously we will be doing so. Uh, Coity, I, I thank you for coming in. Uh, you know, I thank you for being part of this for another year as one of my co-conspirators. Uh, your time is, is very much appreciated. Thanks, buddy. And uh, I look forward to, to many more days like this one where we are talking college hoops here downtown uh thank you folks for listening and we hope you'll join us in our future editions of the pod